You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan. In Stouffville. In Woodbridge. In Unionville. You're listening to a special COVID-19 edition of The Feed with Ann Romer on 105.9 The Region. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Ann Romer with York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. Once again this week, our focus is COVID-19. The virus that began in a Chinese city is making its way through Europe where the death toll continues to rise. In Canada... The federal government has introduced aggressive measures at our borders and in our airports. Financial aid is now available for individuals and the many businesses affected by this outbreak. Here in Ontario, a state of emergency. Premier Doug Ford joins us on the feed. Thank you for taking the time, Premier Ford, in this busy, busy stretch of of events as they unfold. I want to thank you for taking a moment to speak to the residents of York Region. It means a great deal to this community. Let's talk about what has happened so far. You've made some very bold and proactive decisions, taken some measures to try to protect Ontarians. What went into those decisions? Well, a lot of them. Uh, I really right now, and we're listening to our Chief Medical Officer of Health, Taking the advice from our COVID-19 command table, uh, they're the experts in health, and we have to rely on uh, what they're telling us. And we have some of the brightest people, not only in Canada, but uh, in my opinion, in the world, uh, medical professionals uh, giving us advice. Must have been difficult to uh, come to some of those decisions for you, and I know you rely heavily on your team, but decisions like shuttering schools uh, throughout Ontario, but the big one was uh, declaring a state of emergency. When you actually said those words, how did you feel about what was being presented to Ontarians? Well, it was after a lot of consideration, a lot of thought, a lot of uh, communications between uh, Myself and our, our cabinet ministers uh, late into the night, and uh, even that uh, we, we were back in here at 6:30 in the morning discussing it again and again. Uh, when when the chief medical officer of health and other professionals, health professionals, uh, were telling us that we have to uh, slow the the spread and, and uh, flatten the curve, as you've heard that, that terminology, and all of us have. Uh, what we've uh, recognized any uh, area that is active decisively and uh, swift, uh, they have an opportunity to get ahead of this. So that was what our decision, our decision was based on, and uh, I think uh, it was the right decision. As a matter of fact, I know it was the right decision, and I just want to I want to thank the people of Ontario uh, because we we could uh, make these decisions, but if uh, people don't follow uh, the decisions that we make. They don't work, and I can't say enough about the people of Ontario. They've been absolutely incredible. Everyone's helping everyone. Businesses are are coming forward, stepping up to the plate, uh, offering their resources. Uh, so I, I can't ask for uh, anything more uh, from the people of Ontario and our businesses. Uh, they're incredible. I'm so proud. I'm so proud to be the premier of uh, the greatest uh, region in, in the world. 
Premier, have you had the chance to reach out to some of the frontline workers in healthcare, also patients themselves, and the unsung heroes that many of us believe they are? And those are, for instance, the men and women who are stocking the grocery store shelves. Yes, I'm glad you asked that. That question, uh, yes, we have. I haven't actually uh, called patients themselves. I've talked to many frontline healthcare workers. I've uh, just uh, ended up getting out of the meeting with the Canadian Retail Association. Uh, and, and for instance, uh, there was people cleaning our offices here at Queen's Park. I went by and I, I saw them out of the corner of my eye, turned around, uh, stopped them and thanked them. It is so important. They play such a critical role. Uh, the folks that are cleaning our facilities, uh, cleaning the stores, disinfecting uh, areas, uh, they play just as critical roles as anyone, really. Here in York Region, there are, as you have mentioned, really throughout many uh, places in Ontario, but there are small businesses, there are restaurants, there are malls, there are teachers, there are workers of all types uh what do you want to say to us here in York Region? Well, I want to. I want to thank everyone. Uh, I want to thank the frontline healthcare workers. I want to thank the the first responders, the police, uh, fire, uh, paramedics. Uh, we, we are so grateful. I want to thank the, the the retail folks, as you you said, Anne. The, the people forget the unsung heroes, as you, as you mentioned, the people that uh, are up all night stocking the shelves. Uh, because it's absolutely critical. I can't emphasize it enough that we keep the supply chain going, that we make sure when people go into the stores that they feel comforted, uh, that they, they see hand sanitizer, they see uh, toilet paper. And, and I can't get my head around this toilet paper scenario, but the last place in the world people should worry about toilet paper is Canada. I've talked to uh, uh, right to the... Uh, Mr. Irving himself from Irving Tissue, one of the largest in North America producers, uh, Kimberly Clark, uh, Kroger. Uh, we have a tremendous uh, amount of capacity here. Uh, we have enough pulp. And uh, the reason uh, there's shortage, people uh, are hoarding and panic buying. And I, I ask the people of Ontario, please, uh, do not hoard, do not panic buy. The supply chain is working uh, and if you don't hoard and you don't panic buy, there's going to be lots to go around uh, to everyone. You know, it's interesting on the flip side of, of this uh, hoarding and, and panic buying, there are companies that are rearranging themselves and their uh, distribution and their mandate to make it work. For instance, in the distillery district, a, a group, a company that makes alcohol, and, and they're turning this around and they're creating supplies of, of disinfectants and you know, sanitization and products. Sanitation, yeah. I think it's amazing. I, I, I just, I am so proud. I'm getting chills talking here. I really <laughs> am right now because I am so proud. Uh, I made a call out with the media today on my press conference, and our lines are being inundated. I asked for uh, facilities that have sewing machines that can uh, sew face masks and, and gowns, uh, uh, companies that can make ventilators. Uh, because uh, for years we've always relied to import a lot of these these items for the healthcare uh, industry, but and we can produce anything, absolutely anything, from trains, planes, automobiles, uh, technology, pharma, high tech, anything in in the world we can produce right here in Ontario, 
and uh, they're coming, stepping up. I just uh, literally made the call out. I uh, went into the ledge to pass the the bills, and uh, they've given me two pages of companies that have sewing machines. Uh, Cisco Food Distribution, uh, since the restaurants are closed, they're uh, transitioning into uh, sending food to food banks and delivering uh, food themselves. Uh, big automotive part manufacturers, I was on the phone late last night with the CEOs. They're saying we'll make a transition on our assembly lines to start producing uh, ventilators. And it's just, uh, I've never seen anything like it. It, it almost, uh, you know, not, not, not that we're in World War II, but I read an article in the Toronto Star, and that, that's kind of what it is. Uh, when uh, car manufacturers uh, trans, uh, made that transition to making uh, uh, Jeeps and armored vehicles, well, we're making a transition into uh, uh, health goods and, and uh, supplies, health supplies. And you're right, the distillers, I've made a call out to the uh, distilleries. They're stepping up in a big, big way. As uh, you mentioned, there's some uh, distilleries here in Toronto that are stepping up. Uh, Dillon distilleries are, are switching over. So um, we're, we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this together. Uh, and I want to thank you. Uh, thank you. The media has been incredible. I want to thank you, the media. I want to thank the people of Ontario and York Region. God bless each and every one of you. You are showing great leadership. Premier Ford, thank you for taking the time, joining me on the feed. Thank you so much, Ann. You're listening to a special COVID-19 edition of The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. All this week, we asked you, our listeners, to please send us your questions about the coronavirus. Here to help us dispel the myths and find some answers is York Region's Associate Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Fareen Karachawala. And thank you for joining us, Dr. Karachawala. If you're all set, we will get right to our listeners' and followers' questions and try to get through as many as possible. And glad you're with us on The Feed. And thank you so much for having me. Our first question is from Joseph Chiumiento. He writes, I would like to know when it is that you should go for testing. At the earliest signs or what is the one symptom that should have you going to the doctors? How do you balance being careful with getting in the way? So thanks so much for uh, the question. You know, it's a great one and really reassuring and glad to hear so many of our uh, residents are concerned about, you know, how to be responsible in this situation uh, and being careful about capacity issues. So that's really great to hear. I think one of the great things about, um, so our website that you can go to, which is york.ca slash COVID-19, is there's a tool there that's a provincial tool. So the Ministry of Health has developed a self-assessment tool. That's a really good place to start because it lets you put in some of your symptoms and then give some specific directions about where to go. Um, So the one thing I I do want to say is if you have no symptoms at all, so not experiencing anything and are feeling well, um, then definitely don't go seek care and don't go to the assessment centers. Um, And if you have questions, you know, the best place to look, of course, is a website, um, particularly ours and the Government of Ontario's as well. Uh, The things we're most concerned about from a symptom perspective is if you are having things like fever, cough, shortness of breath, and you've traveled outside of Canada or have contact with a sick person who's traveled outside of Canada, then those are people that we do really want to be seen um, and tested as well. 
And of course, like in any situation, if you're feeling very, very unwell, um, you know, you should be calling 911 if you require emergent and urgent care. And a quick add-on question to that. If you are surrounded by family or you have a partner or there are children, uh, other people in the home, while you're waiting to make this determination as to what the next step is, should you stay away from them? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. So if you are feeling unwell and you do have a cough, a fever, all those types of symptoms and you're taking that self-assessment, do as much as possible to stay away from other people. So that does include direct family members, you know, be in a separate room or a separate space if you can, maintaining that two-meter distance. We have the next question from Grace Rathwell. There are reports that the new stricter stay-home approach is because of a model being shared from the UK, US, that predicts hundreds of thousands of deaths in England and millions in the US. Has York Region modeled the potential impact in our area? Has the Ontario government modeled it? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, there have been a number of modeling studies, and these have come, some from Canada, some from expert bodies elsewhere across the world. And actually, social distancing has been very evidence-based. So it's based on modeling studies, but it's also based on experiences in previous outbreaks. Uh, so, you know, during H1N1, that was something that people researched quite a bit. And so we know how effective and how critical it is to have those social distancing measures in place. Um, and those are things like taking, uh, you know, avoiding non-essential trips in the community, staying home as much as possible, working from home when you can, and really when you are going out for essential things, maintaining that two-meter distance from people, and really just limiting the number of visitors in your home, not going to places um, for dinner, out with your friends, things like that, um, and really being mindful of maintaining that space and avoiding any places with crowds or gatherings. These are great suggestions and uh, measures to be taken, but are they enforceable, and how much responsibility lies on us? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think that's a great question. You know, what, what we're seeing here in York Region is people are being very diligent, very mindful. There's a lot of talk and buzz about social distancing, which is excellent. People are being so conscious and mindful of that, which is hugely appreciated. Um, as you probably have heard uh, earlier this week, there was a declaration of an emergency provincially, and the government of Ontario did um, order certain things to be closed to actually help with the social distancing. And so those orders um, are enforceable, and they can be acted upon. Uh, so, you know, this is all through the provincial government. But some of the things that the chief medical officer of health has ordered to be closed are things like facilities that provide indoor rec programs, um, public libraries, schools, as you know, licensed childcare, bars and restaurants, and really any gatherings over 50 people. So those all, of course, help with um, enforcing that social distancing, uh, as well as people's own actions, which we're definitely relying on, as well as other things. So this is a special edition of The Feed, COVID-19, and it is listener-driven. Uh, we've asked for questions from our amazing listeners in York Region. And Dr. Karachiwala, we have this question for you from Valerie Ladisa. If you have cold symptoms, should you be waiting to see how it progresses before adding to the strain on the system to get a test? Would it not put you in more danger to go to a testing site where presumably people with coronavirus are present? 
Mm-hmm. So as I recommended um, with the question from Joe as well, which are which are all really great, is definitely go check out the self-assessment tool. And this is something that was developed by the Ontario Ministry of Health, and it's available on our website too, which is york.ca slash COVID-19. And that can give you a good sense of where's the starting place, depending on what types of things you've experienced, whether or not you've traveled, whether or not you've been in contact with a sick person who's traveled. Um, and if the recommendation is to go to a, a assessment center or testing site, and again, that is uh, predominantly for people who are unwell and have traveled outside of Canada or been in contact with someone who's sick who's traveled outside. So people who are totally well should not uh, go for that testing or assessment center. Um, and in terms of the dangers, I mean, I know that's a concern from people around getting exposed. Um, I think the great things about these assessment centers is how well they've been organized by our hospital partners. And they're actually very mindful of infection prevention and control, maintaining that social distancing. Um, a few of them are by appointment only, or they'll sort of let you wait in your car. Or, you know, the waiting room itself is is a safe place. It's maybe a negative pressure room where people are given masks right away. Um, so if you are sent to need to go to assessment center, you should be reassured in the fact that they are very mindful of those safety measures. At this stage, could you remind us how it is transmitted as far as you know in terms of its short history, COVID-19? Yeah, absolutely. And that's definitely a key point is, you know, scientists are learning more about it uh, more and more. But um, but no, we have great evidence that it actually is transmitted through contact and droplet. And what this means is if, if I'm a sick person and I'm coughing or sneezing or have a runny nose and my droplets from this cough or the sneeze or what have you gets onto another person's eyes, nose, mouth, then that's how they can become sick. So for the most part, when we're seeing that person-to-person spread, it's because of, you know, you're face-to-face for a long time with somebody, you live with somebody, you're providing care for somebody, and that's the most commonly uh, common ways it's transmitted. And is that called a community transmission versus a com- a transmission because of travel? Yeah, so that's a, that's a sort of different concept. Um, what I'm speaking to now is how it's actually spread person to person. So that, again, is that close contact, um, direct face-to-face interactions. And that's just simply speaking to how it might be passed on from one person who has it to another person who may not. Um, the whole concept around community spread and transmission and what that means uh, is a little bit different. And so um, if I can speak to that a little more, we know, and you probably heard, uh, you know, the chief medical officer of the province, our federal chief public health officer for Canada um, and even our neighboring jurisdictions like Toronto, they are indicating that, you know, there's not, the links are not always there to travel. So what we were seeing before is that the cases were uh, travel related. It's because they got uh, the infection from outside of Canada. Here in York Region, we, uh, you know, thoroughly investigate all of our cases. We get a good sense of where it comes from. And right now, none of our cases uh, can be linked to community transmission. So this means they've all had a link to travel or getting it outside of Canada. Now, I think the the idea here is that we are in a situation where provincially that may not be the case. In other jurisdictions, that may not be the case. So we're always preparing for 
that if that does occur in York Region, and we're always tracking that very actively, looking out for that, being really mindful of that, and preparing as if though that that's the situation. Um, but at, right now, and again, this could change in the next little while, we're not seeing that in York Region, but we're looking out for it. We're being very mindful. We know other places are seeing it, and we're acting and preparing um, as if though that could or is occurring. So here's a question from Mary, and it's a very timely question based on what you've just said. She is a York Region resident. Here's her question. If family members arrive from England, do the other members of the family also need to self-isolate? I'm sure there will be hugging and kissing upon return. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so if a person has come back from outside of Canada, the advice to that person is to self-isolate. So what that means is you don't have um, contact with other people. So if you, you know, you would be in a place uh, two meters away from people and the advice really for that person coming back is to not do the hugging and kissing with other people and just maintain that distance, stay at home, don't go to work um, and do not take uh, trips outside of the community, except if you really need to go for sort of urgent medical care. You know, the business of hugging and kissing, it's it uh, it's a part of our society, and I guess we have to change the way we approach things at this point. Uh, it's a sign of affection, but there has to be social distancing, and some people just aren't quite getting the concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know it's sort of a difficult thing to wrap your head around because our society is so... Um, so focused and so driven around human interaction, that's, of course, very, very important. So I guess what, what I've been saying is it's social distancing, but without social isolation and still maintaining that health and those healthy relationships and contact with other people. So while you, you know, are staying at home, limiting trips in the community, working from home where possible, it's still really important to do those other types of human interactions virtually. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that is about messaging friends and calling people, uh, checking in on people who, who may have a harder time with this. Um, and still being uh, healthy and active as much as possible. So, you know, you can go for a walk, um, maintaining that distance with other people, be outside, again, maintaining that distance. Um, but really, we don't want to lose focus of maintaining that human connection. And we're nicely sort of set up in this environment now where, you know, there's ways to interact with people virtually and through the phone and through FaceTime and Skype and all these different venues, which is which is actually really nice and a time to rely on now. We have another question, and this is from Barbara Jones. If you test positive, my understanding is you are isolated and your contacts are tracked, but beyond containment and isolation, what is the treatment? If we suspect that we have been exposed, is there something we should start doing at home? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so if you are, you know, diagnosed with COVID-19, um, people always ask, what is the treatment? And actually very similar to some of the other viral illnesses, um, like a cold, if you are at home and so you're not admitted to hospital or you're not, um, you know, very sick from it, uh, then we tend to say that actually the treatment is what we say is supportive. So you're doing things you can to get better, which would include drinking lots of fluids, um, getting lots of rest, uh, eating well, sleeping well, doing those things that really boost your immune system. But for the most part, people that are not very sick from it, they wouldn't be um, advised at this point or there isn't a specific medication or anything at this point that they would be recommended to take.
Many people believe in a an holistic approach to everything, including health. How important is it that our minds are at peace and that we try to remain positive, whether we are experiencing this itself or we have loved ones who have COVID-19? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very important to have that holistic view of health and really being mindful of mental health, physical health, all of those things and well-being really uh, more broadly. So I think that is very important and that's why that message of maintaining that human connection while maintaining social distancing is really important, right? So um, talking to people, feeling connected in other ways, Um, And then also being really confident in our system. So I know for myself, um, I have a lot of trust in our provincial partners and our federal partners, and we're part of a healthcare and public health system that's one of the strongest in the world, Uh, and I hope that people take sort of uh, comfort in that piece, because I know I definitely do. I know that you were trained as a uh, medical doctor, you are still, but what drew you to public health? Oh, so very many things. Um, I think one of the neatest things about uh, public health is when you're thinking about your patients, it's really your entire community. So for us in York Region, our our patients, so to speak, is the entire community, and we get to look and see all those holistic components of how are people behaving, how are they feeling, um, what sort of societal impacts might be present, and what can we do about health, but also health distribution. And so those types of things are something that a public health doctor focuses on uh, in a much more broad way than, you know, we we definitely deal with people individually, but we also just deal with communities as a whole and all those different factors that impact someone's well-being and a society's well-being, really. This is a special edition of The Feed. COVID-19 is the subject, and it's listener-driven. We've been asking all week for questions from our amazing listeners, Dr. Farine Karachawala, York Region Public Health is our guest. Uh, I have another question for you, doctor, and it is from Raphael Adrian. There are so many different estimates of how long post-exposure it takes for you to be infected or so symptoms. I read 48 hours. Another said 72 hours. We are being asked to isolate for 14 days. Which is it? Does it vary? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so great question. So if, if a person does have COVID-19, um, a lot of the studies are suggesting that in terms of symptoms, you may start to feel better in, you know, seven to ten days um, where you might see a resolution of symptoms of your cough, your fever, things like that go away. Um, we also know that people end up having, the, when we're trying to talk about virus detection, if they're swabbed again, then that tends to get, uh, like the living virus tends to go away after that same sort of eight, nine, ten day period. Um, the 14 days really speaks to the fact that if you are a case and you're around someone who isn't a case, then that person should wait 14 days before carrying on with their activities, and that's a precautionary measure. But really when we're talking about people that actually have the virus, they tend to get better from their symptoms in around 7 to 10 days, Um, and it could be different in different people just because our bodies always sort of react differently to different infections. There are tests that can be taken, obviously, uh, and they are being perfected as every day goes by uh, to test people for COVID-19. If there is a test 
to determine whether you have it or not. Why is a vaccine not right behind that? Yeah, so I mean, the vaccine development is definitely underway. So there are lots of studies, lots of investigations going on to test different products. Um, that process does tend to take a little bit of time because it's a totally new virus, as you know. Uh, it takes a little bit of time to figure out all of the different components and try to find something that actually works and then test it and experiment with it in a safe way. So typically we say it takes around six months from the start of a, an outbreak or establishment of an outbreak to see a vaccine. So, you know, we're all very hopeful that that will come soon, but it definitely is being worked on very actively across the world. One of our listeners, Ed Solizano, listens to 105.9 The Region and writes this for you to answer. What is a senior in terms of this virus? Is it 80, 70, 60? Also, I was told that children were less vulnerable. Is that correct? And what are the underlying conditions? There are conflicting reports online. So lots of questions stuffed into that one. Thank you, Ed. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you, Ed. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, I think we, so let's start by talking about people that who might be at higher risk of getting more sick from the virus if they're infected. And those are people that um, are more advanced in age, so we're typically saying over 65, um, but also people who have chronic health conditions. So, you know, may, maybe heart disease, diabetes, cancers, this type of thing, and people who have a weakened immune system. So maybe they're taking some medications that weaken their immune system or because of something like cancer, they have a weaker immune system to begin with. Um, So those people are definitely at higher risk. And the message for them, for sure, is, you know, taking those social distancing measures very seriously and for everyone, because part of the reason we're telling everyone to do the social distancing is to also protect these people who tend to be at higher risk. Um, In terms of the age and and who's getting it, we do know the bulk of infections are occurring in people who are a little bit older. So, um, you know, a large proportion of infections are people over the age of 40, um, but the people who tend to get sicker do tend to be over the age of, you know, 60, 65. Um, children don't seem to be getting that sick from it, and also we are not seeing too many infections right now in um, the population of children. So here in York Region, for example, all of our cases at this uh, point in time are over the age of 20. Here is a question from Velma Forgeron. I read somewhere online that people who have had coronavirus and have recovered still test positive. Is this true? And if so, can you have it twice or more? Right, yeah. So uh, the studies on this are are definitely, this is being researched, the evidence is emerging. Um, But right now, the best evidence seems to suggest that if you do get it, you do actually have some short-term protection. So whether that's for a year or two years, that sort of remains to be seen. So we're not too worried that, you know, immediately after you would get reinfected. Um, Part of what we're seeing, though, is if somebody has it and a few weeks later they might still test positive. And part of the reason for that is actually that the test is very good at picking it up. So it may be picking it up, but just picking up kind of dead virus that's lying around, not virus that's actively making you sick. So that's part of the issue. And and we are still um, seeing and scientists are discovering that, you know, after eight, nine days of being sick with it, you're actually not seeing those really dangerous uh forms of the virus still in your system. It's more that kind of leftover thing that's being picked up by the test. 
Dr. Fareen Karachiwala, York Region Public Health, joining us for a special edition of The Feed on COVID-19, driven by our listeners. So next up, we have John from Markham. Should I avoid Advil and take Tylenol at this time? I've heard comments supporting both. I'm confused. Please help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there, there are some studies indicating that Advil or ibuprofen uh, should be avoided if you are infected or have COVID-19. Um, what we're saying and sort of what I mentioned earlier is there aren't really specific medications or drugs that most people who get it will need to take. Um, if you are, you know, more sick or you're in hospital, that's sort of a different story. But if you have it and you're at home, which many people are, then um, you can have lots of fluids, rest a lot, get lots of sleep. Uh, and, you know, if you're really feeling pain or have a fever or something, um, then taking something like acetaminophen or Tylenol, which is, you know, over-the-counter, um, could be a good idea. Dr. Karachiwala, if one had the flu shot this season, would there be any form of protection from that? Yeah, so um, we're not really uh, seeing much cross-protection, and and what that means is, you know, there's not... Uh, too much science to support the fact that if you had the flu shot that you'd be specifically protected for COVID-19. Um, you know, every season we're recommending the flu shot, and of course that's really important because the flu can also make you quite sick um, and can make those same people who are in a high-risk category for COVID, so that's, you know, people who are elderly, people who have chronic conditions or suppressed immune systems, those same people also get very sick from the flu. So definitely still recommending the flu shot every year as we do, Um, But right now, there's not much indication that getting the flu shot would help protect against COVID-19 specifically. We have another question from a 105.9 The Region listener follower, Dave Somasandaram. I have a question that, according to the authorities, avoid touching the face or eyes. Can I touch my face or eyes with a facial tissue to wipe it out? Yeah, so I mean, our advice to people has been not to touch your face. Um, and especially not to touch your face with unwashed hands. So, you know, of course, if you do have to touch your face, which m- many situations may call for, maybe you're blowing your nose, etc., the best thing to do is wash your hands thoroughly, then touch your face or use a Kleenex, touch your face, and then once you're done, thoroughly wash your hands again. Um, so, you know, our advice to people in terms of just general prevention of all infections, including COVID-19, is to wash your hands regularly. That's one of the very important things you can do. And also be mindful of regularly cleaning those highly touched surfaces. So things like doorknobs or light switches, railings, your cell phone, uh, making sure those things are cleaned um, quite frequently and well. We are beginning to hear uh, some positive news out of China where this all began. Uh, Stories that are drifting out in the news through this week uh, as we are in the feed this weekend. And they're kind of indicating that the worst may be over. Is that a good sign? Is that something that people who are a little fearful might be able to take comfort in knowing? 
Yeah, you know what? It is very reassuring to see that those numbers are going down. I think that is very reassuring um, both for where it's happening but also the rest of us. Um, but I do want to say that when we see these types of dips, you know, we really have to be watching that carefully to make sure it sustains and it remains because what we don't want to happen is people being very relaxed about those social distancing measures and then things start reemerging again, right? So I would say it's it's hopeful news and and watch it um, closely, but still for our situation and here we still need to be very mindful of all those measures I talked about with regards to social distancing. So staying home where you can, limiting your interactions with other people, um, in, in terms of physical interactions with other people, and remaining two meters away as much as possible with everybody else. Well, these early stages of COVID nineteen for us here in York Region have certainly been an eye opener when it comes to remembering hygiene. You know, these are lessons we learned as children. We were reminded of it during SARS, and here we go again. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, it's definitely messaging that in public health we're sort of always um, reminding people of, and it is a good lesson. I mean, it, it's important things to keep in mind, particularly because even on a regular day, if you're not experiencing COVID-19, you know, we do have people in our society who are more vulnerable and who are at higher risk. And that is people with medical conditions or people who are older in age. And I think it's uh, just prudent for all of us to make sure we're mindful of that and take care. And those are not always things that you see visibly with the eye. So if you're practicing those things sort of all the time in terms of that regular cleaning of surfaces, washing your hands lots, being very mindful to stay home when you're sick, um, that's extremely important, then we're really doing our duty to protect people that we may not even know are vulnerable. And all levels of government are doing what they can to make it a little easier for both the employer and the employee to have their uh, their time at home if they're not feeling well. Uh, let's go to a question from Sadia. How long does the infection last? Is there any value in catching it early or does it just take its course? And are there stages to it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so as I said, mostly when you're experiencing symptoms of COVID-19, so things like fever, cough, or shortness of breath, uh, it typically does tend, if you're well and, and not hospitalized, it tends to take, you know, seven to ten days or so, a um, little bit different in each person, but that's usually the time frame where your symptoms um, might be getting better. Um, so that's definitely something to keep in mind. And, of course, what we want to tell people is if you are experiencing symptoms, uh, self-isolation is really the most important thing. So that's not coming into contact with anybody else. And if you are well, you know, not going to work, not going to school, not going to the gatherings, um, that will help sort of keep things in check. But in terms of how long the actual symptoms last for, it typically varies person by person, but we are seeing it last about seven or ten days in terms of starting to then get better. We've got a question from Emma Cart. By the way, our listeners are devoted and they are eager to get the solid information, and that's exactly what you are providing, Dr. Fareen Karachiwala, York Region Public Health. Thank you. So Emma Cart asks this, I work in a manufacturing setting. Can the virus be passed along the manufacturing line? Does heat kill it? I see masks with visors. Should we be looking for those? 
Yeah, so I mean, I think a lot of people in various, uh, you know, workplaces or settings have this question around, uh, you know, does the virus survive for a long time on a, on a counter or a different sort of surface? Uh, and that has be, you know, that is being studied. Um, we basically know that it can last anywhere for a few hours, um, sometimes a few days. It just sort of depends on the environment. And the studies around whether or not heat kills it are still a little bit mixed at this point. Um, but we know that when we're thinking about when it, you know, gets passed between people, really it is that person-to-person contact that makes it more likely to spread between people. But um, that being said, we do think it's really important advice in addition to the whole social distancing and not being, you know, within two meters of other people is also to clean the surfaces and clean your environments very regularly. So that's one of the most important things um, people can do as well. So that is the cleaning, disinfection of, you know, your spaces uh, and definitely focusing on those commonly touched surfaces, so whether that's a doorknob or a handle or a railing. And we had a very similar uh, question from an email from Jeff in Thornhill asking just that, can the virus survive on hard surfaces? What about on soft surfaces like skin or in hair or, uh, you know, any other surface, not a hard surface that we would think of? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and so those those same studies are trying to tease out what all those factors are that, you know, allow it to either survive or get killed more easily depending on the surface. So those things are emerging and ongoing. Um, so from our perspective, we are saying that no matter what the surface and no matter whether it's on a person, to do those things like the regular hand washing if it's on yourself, but also cleaning, commonly touched surfaces, cleaning your environments twice a day, and even things like regular household cleaners, disinfectants, those are um, things that can be used and that do kill the virus. So making sure your environment is clean is a big part of this. Um, But those specifics as to how long it lasts on various different types of services, those things are all still being teased out. And it's a little bit mixed right now in terms of the science. Jenna from Georgina asking, I am a retired senior living alone. Is it okay to spend time with my young grandchildren who are currently not in school? Yeah, so that's a great question. I mean, what what we're recommending right now is that, you know, people limit those types of interactions as much as possible in terms of the physical interactions. So, you know, physically going to somebody's house um, in that situation and spending time with them. But what we are encouraging is to do those things remotely. So whether that can be on video or by the phone um, or any other ways virtually that we have available to us to maintain those social interactions and connections with your family, with your grandchildren, with your grandparents, that's really important. Um, But we are saying to limit that physical visiting and being in that same space as people that, you know, aren't in your direct immediate household already. And are the concerns twofold? One, that perhaps children are are more likely to be carriers and that seniors might be more vulnerable to COVID-19? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we definitely know that that seniors are more vulnerable and we want to avoid people getting very sick and having to go to hospital um, or having more serious complications from it. That's definitely a big part of it. Um, and yes, with, with children, you know, we tend to know they, they may not get symptoms. Um, they maybe are less likely to be infected, um, but we don't want to take the chance that they could be passing it to other people and especially people who are at higher risk of infection. So people that are older in age, that have the chronic medical conditions or have trouble with their immune system. 
Our listeners are asking the questions. This is a special edition of The Feed COVID-19. We're joined by Dr. Farin Karachiwala, York Region Public Health. So Dawn is asking you this. I live with my elderly mother and my young son in a senior's building. So how do I keep them safe in public spaces in that building? Right. So, you know, if you're if you're living with people, then, you know, we're saying that with social distancing, you, you could still have those interactions with your immediate family members or people that you may be in the same household with. But the idea here is with social distancing, anything outside that household, you want to be very sort of careful and mindful of. So limiting non-essential trips in the community, not spending time in, say, communal places or gathering places, um, maintaining that distance from other people outside your household and keeping that sort of two-meter radius. I mean, you yourself or you with your direct family or immediate family members that live with you can sort of go for walks, be outside, but limit interactions with other people that wouldn't be in your same household or immediate family. As responsible citizens, we all try to get as much accurate information as possible. And we go to your website. We uh, go to Health Canada's website. We go to government websites. But sometimes we are seeing images on television and on social media that are very scary, I must say. And I think about places like Italy, the countries in lockdown, the most marvelous people in the world are struggling. So why would a country like Italy have such high numbers and, and such congestion, if you'll pardon the expression, when it comes to COVID-19? Yeah, you know, I, I definitely hear you with the the frightening images and social media and, and various things happening in countries outside of Canada. I think what, you know, what I want our listeners to know is that uh, in Canada, the situation is different than it is in, say, Europe or even different than it is in the United States. Um, right now, here, we have a very strong system, a strong healthcare system, a strong public health system. And, you know, we and our public and our governments have been very diligent and active in terms of putting into place those measures that we feel are really important. So, you know, the things like um, limiting the travel, you know, people have issued that advice of not going on uh, non-essential travel, which is hugely important. And then, of course, all these things that people are being quite diligent and responsible about in terms of the social distancing message. So we are in a different situation than places like uh, Europe and and different places in Asia as well, and even the United States. Um, And to avoid us sort of looking like those other places, you know, that's the call to action around being very mindful of, of working from home where you can, not going out into the community for non-essential reasons and, and things of that nature. Um, so that's, you know, there's different factors for why various countries might be experiencing things more severely than us now. Um, we, of course, are in early stages, but just need to be mindful of all those measures um, because those are the things that will make it the difference as to um, you know, what we end up seeing here in Canada. And a follow-up question from Jerry in Woodbridge, and it's along these lines. He wants to know if you have advice on how to manage anxiety through this. Oh, he's overwhelmed by the constant flow of information and images. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think a lot of people are are struggling with this, are anxious, um, you know, just because of the, the rapid nature of the change too, right? Like there's been a lot of announcements this week. Information seems like it's coming at us from all directions um, and announcements announcements feel like they're being made every day. Um, but, I, you know, I, I do want people to have um, 
and remember that we are in a very strong system, right? Our, our healthcare system is one of the best in the world. Our public health systems are um, well-resourced and, and very well-maintained um, and, and staffed and have great capacity. But, um, you know, that, that anxiety, of course, is there for people. And it's really important that we're mindful of that and that we're, we're maintaining those connections with other people. So if you know that someone has lots of questions, if you know that someone might be feeling particularly stressed about that situation, you know, check in on them. It's, it's, this is the time to be checking in with our neighbors, to checking on, in on people who may be facing more hardships than others um, and, and trying to maintain those connections in, in virtual ways and all the different technologies and tools available to us in this day and age. So, um, you know, let's, let's definitely take time and space for ourselves. I think one of the other great things that we're suggesting people do is, you know, you can still go outside if you're social distancing. So, you know, you can take a walk and still maintain that two-meter distance from other people. Um, you can go for some physical activity outdoors. And those things are also very helpful and calming to the mind and the, and the spirit, really. Absolutely. I couldn't have put it better myself. We have a question from Paul Glevenazzo, and he asked this. I have been reading online that vitamin C has been a deterrent. It can make the severity and duration lesser. So is that true? Yeah, so I mean, a lot of different sort of therapies or therapeutics are being tested at this time, right? So different drugs, um, different interventions to help reduce the impact. And those are mostly for people who might be hospitalized or very sick from this. Um, if you, you know, the, the general um, public, so most people, if they do get COVID-19, um, are not getting uh, hospitalized um, or too sick. So that's still the bulk of people who are, you know, recovering at home. And so for those people, we're not really recommending anything um, too specific or, or separate or special. You know, it really is those measures of resting, drinking lots of fluids, um, getting sleep and, and sort of taking care of yourself so your immune system system is strong, um, but no specific advice around, uh, you know, vitamin C or, or different types of agents like that. This is a special edition of The Feed, COVID-19, and we're hearing from our listeners, our followers, and we're joined by Dr. Farine Karachiwala, York Region Public Health. We have a question, and this is from Adrienne Simmons. We have been hearing that COVID-19 is creating situations where there aren't the medical supplies necessary for those who are really struggling. Things like ventilators. How is York Region faring in terms of that? Yeah, so so our role in, in York Region Public Health is really to focus on the community. So, you know, if there is a case of COVID-19, what we do here in, in public health is make sure we're making contact with the people who the case has been in contact with, right, and sort of putting a ring around those people to limit that further transmission. So our role is really to help protect the hospitals and the clinics and all those folks from seeing a surge in cases, right? So our role is to message out to the public, is to um, help enable and promote the message of things like social distancing and self-isolation where it's needed as well, uh, and ensure that there's not this um, spread further beyond a case. So putting that ring around the contact helps um, with having fewer people infected who then have to go to the hospital and then struggle with those issues like uh, equipment and supplies, which really the hospital and the acute care sector is 
is dealing with and planning for very actively. So we're doing whatever we can in the community to prevent people from getting to hospital and becoming sick. Isn't it fascinating how we, the general public, not you because you're very well-versed and you're educated in medical health, but we all think about uh, new new language for us. For instance, you just said put a ring around the contact and flattening the curve and uh, care mongering rather than fear mongering. We're just we're we're just speaking a different language because of COVID nineteen, and with that comes some awareness. I hope. Yeah, absolutely, and and that's really um, what our goal is is you know to tell people what they can do because there is um, lots of actions that people can take to help with this. And I know people are sort of, you know, worried and, and there are uncertainty about what this may look like and what we need to plan for. Um, but there are really concrete steps that, you know, you and I and really everybody can take to help with the situation. It's kind of nice to have that action or something to do about it where, where we all can really contribute. We have a question from Shakar Maharaj. I speak and read English. My parents do not. Is York Region Health doing any Q&A in other languages? Where do they go for information? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that. That's a really important point and a great question. So if you go to our website at york.ca slash COVID-19, we do have some translated materials. We also have links to various languages. Uh, we also link to the Ontario Ministry of Health site that has also some, you know, fact sheets and various materials in a range of different languages. Uh, so definitely check out those links um, through our website or through the Ontario.ca slash COVID-19 website as well. This is a question from Lori in Richmond Hill. And doctor, before I read the question, just a few moments ago you said, we're just in the early stages of this. Uh, so this is what Lori asks, when will we know that the worst is almost over? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what? I mean, I, that's a very difficult thing to predict. Um, you know, people are working really hard on that and, and actively monitoring the situation and, and really reevaluating on a daily basis to see and think about what could come next, where are we, um, lots of sort of brilliant minds kind of working on that. Um, we know that those measures that were put into place by the provincial government, so the orders and council, um, those are right now till March 31st and will keep being re- evaluated. Um, But I know even with sort of different folks, so I know Justin Trudeau was saying and even we're saying, uh, we do want people to um, to know that, you know, this this may or may not be short-lived and, you know, we have to sort of prepare for these types of measures going on for a little bit longer. Um, You know, it's really hard to say when things will end or change over, um, but people are actively looking into this and it'll be sort of a Reevaluation after a couple of weeks, looking into this a little bit further, um, and trying to figure out what the best thing is to do when. Um, but right now, you know, we do want people to to remember this is sort of a marathon, not a sprint, um, and just be mindful of checking in on each other uh, because we don't really know at this point how long it'll go on for and, and what different changes will be. But we do have, you know, quite brilliant people looking out for these types of things and trying to figure out what could come next, really. And I know you're not able to, to answer when, but let me ask you, in no uncertain terms, it isn't if, is that correct? We will be on top of this and maybe even rid of this at some point or manage this at some point? 
Yeah, you know, I, I, I think what everyone is doing in terms of putting to, into place these measures, such as the social distancing, I mean, these things go a long way in, um, you know, reducing the transmission, uh, reducing the number of cases, making sure um, there's not a huge spike in the number of cases and things like that. Uh, so though all those measures um, definitely are, are things that have been studied and, and in the past have been success, successful in various situations. Um, I think no one will know about whether, uh, like when that may happen in terms of uh, cases going down. Um, but, you know, I, I think it all sort of remains to be seen um, and, and what will happen next and whether, you know, for things like influenza, for example, you know, we tend to see that every winter. Um, I think it remains to be seen about how things will play out in terms of um, this COVID-19, and I think that the, you know, sort of leaving it to the, the scientists, the experts to really try to project what may happen. But I do think that these measures that are being put into place can be very effective. Um, and, you know, we should, people are definitely watching and monitoring how, how it's, what its impact really is. You've done an, an amazing job answering questions from our listeners, our followers, 105.9 The Region, The Feed, uh, York Region Public Health on top of this. Uh, Dr. Farine Karachiwala, just before we say goodbye, could you remind us again of the website and the information that can be gleaned from it? Absolutely, yeah. So our website is york.ca slash COVID-19. Um, and on our website, there are some contact numbers there. There's the link to the Ministry of Health self-assessment tool. And there are various different sort of drop-down uh, ribbons that you can see more information on a lot of what we talked about today. Uh, you know, it's an informative source, and, and there are links to some resources in, in various languages. So we definitely encourage people to check that out. Um, you know, it's a good source of information, and it links to other good sources of information. Um, so definitely check it out, and I hope that it helps to answer uh, several of the questions, including things we talked about today. And you have been an incredible source of information, Dr. Farine Karachiwala. Thank you. Thank you so much. We want to thank York Region Public Health for their amazing work, their dedication, their willingness to take the time and share information with us and, of course, with you, our listeners. As we continue to adjust to the COVID-19 situation, it can be rather overwhelming and very difficult to know where to find the information you need. That's where we hope we can help. Go to 1059theregion.com for the COVID-19 self-assessment tool, a list of local assessment centers, and a link to apply for emergency benefits. And if you missed today's show and want to read and review a transcript, go to 1059theregion.com. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you for listening.